Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen, and welcome, Justine, back to Costa Rica. Justine, Monica Jean, and David are safely back at their home in Costa Rica for the winter. Hurrah! 
And we've been say, we've been saying today, thank goodness it's rain. Mm. Wow. Because if this was snow, up. we would be up to our eyeballs literally in it. Wow. Wow. Has it been raining? It has been raining and raining and raining hard off and on all day long. And foggy. Wow. Wow. It's like being in the. Nope. Is there thunder down there? No, but I was just asking because they said we might get some this weekend, and I love a nice thunderstorm. I'm from Florida originally, <laughs> so that's the thing I really miss is a nice lightning and thunderstorm. <laughs> uh, and so while I'm very happy that it is indeed rain, it also seems a little peculiar, being as how it's December, for it to be rain. It should be. It should, by all rights, be snow. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad I don't have to. I'm glad I don't have to shovel. The rain takes care of itself. It doesn't have to be moved. <laughs> totally hear on that. Uh, and uh, so, what has happened? What has transpired in your week this week? Oh, it's been a pretty quiet week. Uh, the weather is definitely colder. We've had a lot of windy weather, so it's been mm. good days. Uh, yeah, stay inside a couple days. I poured off some tinctures and some honeys. and um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, we tightened up the barn. Mm. Goats are particularly vulnerable to drafts. They get pneumonia rather easily, and especially the babies and especially in spring. So it's good to make sure that you have a non-drafty barn for the goats. And that's mostly about where the level where they're lying down, right? It mm, can be like mm-hmm. if there's a little draft like up at the eaves, it's not a big deal, but it, they're quite vulnerable to cold winds blowing on them. Wow. So what were you doing? Were you doing, like, carpentry work, or were you just putting in straw? or Just putting um, covering, because, of course, the barn boards have spaces between them, which is good in the summer. It allows good mm-hmm. air circulation, but let's dress it. So we cover it. I originally covered my barn with my burlap feed bags. That's going back quite a while. And then they stopped using burlap. And the feed bags were made of paper. And they were smaller. And I, that was okay. A hundred pounds was uh, even, as a young thing, it was a lot to carry a hundred pounds. And so they made them in paper bags. And that was good. And I would just staple those paper bags up. And then they started doing um, plastic. Mm-hmm. And so rather than staple up plastic bags, which I actually use as garbage bags, um, we just have a roll of plastic film, film with, you know, which is not like um, food wrap film, like um, heavy-duty stuff like you would put over a window during the wintertime. Mm-hmm. But we staple that securely. Um, 
on the inside where the wind won't get to it. And wow, we, and the ghosts just leave that alone. And the ghosts leave it alone. Oh, yeah. There. Okay. They, I have, I have actually seen them shiver. Mm. You know, they're not horses or cows. Horses and cows can actually stand out in the rain and the snow, and they'll not just survive it, but they'll be just fine. But you can't, goats have to have shelter. They can't be left out mm-hmm. like that. And that it really has to be protected shelter. Mm. Yeah, I I know they're always, like, if it's a windy day here, I'll open the barn. But even on a, during the day, they'll prefer to just hold up in the barn a lot of times on a windy day. So I I, 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 think it, they, I, want to. I think they also have an instinct that the wind can blow down trees and they don't want to be out in it. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. I remember one of my teachers of um, Chinese medicine talking about evil winds, the cold evil winds. It was like burned into my consciousness, the cold evil winds. And I can imagine, you know, how if you don't have, you know, a safe place to be, that cold wind is is really, you know, threatening to your health and well-being. Yeah, I yeah I call them wicked here because yeah they're just, it's just like wicked out there. You just don't yeah. it, you can't be out long. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you're properly dressed, really dressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, evil wins, evil wins. <laughs> so what else is going on there other than the what rainy day going today? On? Well, a few interesting things. I had a brilliant idea for years and years and years since I stopped sending out a glossy brochure in the mail. I've just been printing my yearly schedule on a piece of paper, like basically white paper, um, which goes out to the correspondence course students and anybody who writes and says, do you have a schedule? Who doesn't, in other words, look online? Because that document starts, you know, with the document I create in a, a word creation file, and then it goes to the helpers who put it online, and then I send it to the printer who prints me, you know, 500 copies to mail out and give out to people. And I thought, you know, how boring. What can you do to make this more interesting, Susan? I love the cards that we have that are used to show people about my correspondence courses and about my books. They're called rack cards. If you go into like a rest stop on a throughway, there'll be racks of rack cards as well as brochures. Um, Or if you're like staying at like a, a hotel in the lobby, there will often be racks of rack cards. And so I said, that's it. I'm going to put my schedule on a rack card. And Justine and I sat down, and even though we were 3,000 miles away from each other, we loved to collaborate on graphics design. And we designed a wonderful, 
wonderful card. All the Correspondence Course students are going to be getting it in the mail as part of their end-of-the-year mailing that all the Correspondence Course students get. Speaking of which, if you've been longing to be a Correspondence Course student, this is the moment to act for the second time in the entire history of forever. I have agreed to let the Correspondence Courses be sold at less than their very nominal usual price. Every correspondence course at wisewomanschool.com has had its price reduced by $50, and that's going to happen up until midnight of December 15th. So you have, what, nine more days to go to wisewomanschool.com and check out the correspondence courses, including the new correspondence course, Sharing People's Medicine, which was such a delight to conceive and to write and to share and to know there will be lots, lots more sharing going on. And one of the things that came into my purview as I was motivated to write Sharing People's Medicine, this correspondence course, was the idea of putting out courses in ways that motivated people to move through the course. I'm a pretty self-motivated person always have been. Um, my difficulty has never been being bored. My, my difficulty has always been which of four or five really fascinating things do I want to do next. Um, but I do see that uh, there are significant number of people who start their correspondence course and just don't do too much. And so I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe these these people who are out here preaching about how to write a, a course that motivates people, maybe it's worth giving it a try. And so Sharing People's Medicine was written with that in mind. And as I felt into how that was, I decided, yes, I'm going to retrofit the courses that are already there, the ABC Verbalism, Greenwich, Spirit and Practice of the Wise Woman Tradition, and Green Ally, so that they, too, will have this motivational part to help you be motivated to move through the course. And mostly what that means is that there is a wealth of materials, MP3s, and... um, PDFs of books and courses and so on um, that I don't have to put in a box or a bag and ship to anybody. And the motivation is that if you collect a certain number of stars and keys and you get instructions as to how you do that by doing things in your course, then you get to choose the gift that you want and all of the gifts have the value of stars and keys. Uh-huh. So here's where the motivation comes in, right? Oh, I really want to take that adaptogens course, and if I get three keys and this number of stars, I don't remember what it is, so I'm not going to say, I can get that. Hmm. So, How fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so this is going to be a whole new leaf in the Book of Correspondence courses, and that's starting with the courses that are going out now during the sale. And um, it's going to continue on. And what that means is that anybody who's already taking a correspondence course, if there's anything that you're counting on getting with your correspondence course, like books, real books, or DVDs, or CDs, things like that you really need to let me know as soon as possible what those things are, get with me, and let's get them going. I'm going to be pretty much devoting myself to working with Correspondence Course students over this next month. I'm really looking forward to that. I just wrote them a letter and, and said, if you haven't come to a Zoom meeting and you haven't set up talk time with me, we probably haven't been in touch over the past six months. Because mm. when I look back over the past six months, I realize that mostly what I've been doing over this past six months is dealing with my lymphedema, which has been long overdue since it's been with me since May of 2020. But we are getting superb results, and um, I am now... Um, in a place where that energy is freed up to turn outward. Oh, congratulations. How fantastic. That, yeah, wow. it feels, feels wonderful. I, I said that my trip to California was like my graduation exercise, right? If I could get uh, on a plane, fly to California, get off and still be able to walk, to walk okay, <laughs> we have succeeded. Yeah, sitting and pooling potentially yeah definitely yeah. wow wow uh, so oh, all of that has been going on getting the year-end mailing together um you know psychically being there while my family traveled mm. i don't know if you remember but at one point they had thought maybe they were going to drive to Costa Rica from New York. Fortunately, they were talked out of yeah. that. When they were contemplating that, they said, well, how are we going to keep our things from getting stolen? And I said, well, you would need a guard dog. So somehow this got translated into their actually getting a dog named Petey, a little dog, oh. a carrier. And so oh. they take him to Costa Rica with him, right? And so the the whole travel thing is very complicated. I to, bet. To get a dog in and out of country. So it's not just, oh, we're going to the airport. No, there's a whole added thing. And, of course, the whole international travel thing. But as I said, they are at their house. And happily, there's a matter of fact, Monica Jean went surfing this morning. Mm. Later on this evening, Kat Caracillo is going to be with us. She's an artist and the founder of Journey Path Institute. She works with something that she's developed called the Creative Depth Approach, which is imaginal, archetypal, and intuitive. It's dedicated to integrative union depth work, transformational pathways, and art 
as a process that supports healing, wholeness, and expansion. So stick with us until 9 o'clock, or come on back at 9 o'clock, that's East Coast time, and hear what Kat Caracello has to share with us. else you want to share with us um uh, thanks for asking but i i think i'm good thank you shall we see if there's anybody else who has questions great idea i see that two hands are already raised um and i'll remind everyone else listening if you have a question and would like to speak live with susan this evening please press one so that we can see your hands go up in the queue and when it is your turn, we'll open the line for your question. The first question tonight is dialed in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Oh, uh, hi. Is that me? Hi. Hi, Susan. It's Debbie. How are you? I am doing really well, Debbie. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Um where where are you now? Are you in some place tropical? Oh goodness, no, no, no. I'm in, I'm in the Catskill Mountains. I live here year round. It's my oh, family who goes to Costa Rica. I thought that I heard that someone was going um, surfing. My granddaughter, my family, my daughter, granddaughter, and my granddaughter's dad, and my. Uh, daughter's husband live in Costa Rica in the winter. Oh, how wonderful! Yes, yes, they live in a blue zone. Mm, that's wonderful. Do you know what a blue zone is? Um, yes, I do. I know about it. There All are right. Five blue zones in the world. Exactly. And one is Costa Rica. It's some peninsula there, right? And they live at the very southern tip of that peninsula, the Nicoya Peninsula on the Nicoya Bay. Oh, it sounds like a dream. It was one of the last places in Costa Rica to get electricity. Oh. And... That's part of the reason why it's a blue zone, because people um, are more into the rhythm of the day, and when we were first there, and this has changed quite a bit as electrification has come in, um, most people walked to where they were going, even if it was miles. Wow. Yep. One of the things that that I enjoyed the most is as we go and visit various farms, and of course we're the kind of people who like to connect with local farmers to get our food rather than to go out to a market. Um, we really want to see, you know, that, how they're living and so on. And I found that every little farm has its own kind of bean. Cooked beans are generally eaten three times a day in Costa Rica. They're kind of your side dish, beans and rice, mixed together. It's called pinto there. 
And mm-hmm. a little confusing because pinto is a kind of bean. But pinto there is a mix of rice and beans. And every farm has its own different bean. I've sat at tables actually sorting the stones out from beans. I've always read in the package of beans that I bought, oh, you know, make sure to take stones out, but I've never actually found any. But here, there in Costa Rica, where we're sorting beans, there were lots of stones. Of course, they go through a screen, but there are stones that are just the size of the beans. Right. Well, what kind of beans do they use? As I said, each farm has its own bean. These are cooked beans, you know, like pinto beans, cannoli beans, black beans, the regular beans that people eat. But there are hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of beans. They're sometimes called dry beans or shelled beans. Mm-hmm. And they're usually small. They're usually on along the order of um say mung bean or up to twice that size. Uh-huh. Well <clears throat> that's one of the things I keep meaning to do is have more beans and the way I've solved it recently is just to eat hummus. But I don't know if that's as good that's as absolutely having- counts. Hummus counts. So does peanut butter. Because actually peanuts are bean. Wow, that's right. It's right? Yeah. yeah, so that counts as eating more beans. And um, lima beans, frozen lima beans are often available. Peas are a kind of bean. Okay, what about someone told me recently that peanut butter is inflammatory. Do you believe that's true? I do not believe that there are foods that are, quote, inflammatory unless they are foods that are highly processed. Now, if we are talking peanut butter from the supermarket, which contains hydrogenated cottonseed oil or hydrogenated soy oil or hydrogenated palm oil, sugar, high fructose corn syrup, certainly we are talking inflammation because we're not actually talking about peanut butter anymore, are we? No, but I'm not talking about that kind of peanut butter. I know that. I know that you aren't, but the person who said it's inflammatory is. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I do. I do, because that's what most people think of as peanut butter. Well, the person that told me would Uh not think she would would get the um, peanut butter from the supermarket. She wouldn't? No, no, she wouldn't. um, But but where did she get her information? Did she get her information from the supermarket? I have to ask her about that. I'm going to ask. You know, you can't just say because she eats good peanut butter that her information is good. Well, she's a, a, my nutritionist, so I kind of trust her. Oh, that's the worst. I'm, I'm sorry. I have never met a nutritionist who knows anything at all about nutrition. <laughs> and what an awful thing to say. And it's totally in the lap of their training. And basically they are taught that 
a chemical is a chemical is a chemical. So if you need iron, it doesn't really matter if it's actual iron that's in food or if it's synthetic iron or, you know, a pill of iron. They make no difference usually. And this leads to what I consider really grave misunderstandings about food and nutrition. No, but Susan, this nutritionist is a little more... Um, with it, it really is. She she's a, a, on a different level, but I am. I'm glad answer. to hear that. So, does she know the work of Weston Price? Um, I have to ask her about that. I don't ask know. her if she knows about Weston Price. That's W E S T O N Weston Price. Weston A Price. You know, I, I, some of the things she says I do take with a grain of salt because she is talking about having, like, low-fat yogurt and low-fat this and that. I understand. Yeah. So she probably... And I understand, I understand that kind of modern nutrition therapy figures they're not going to wean people from their coffee creamer or their Dunkin' Donuts, so they need to have them eat low-fat dairy. I will tell you that the dairy scientists that I have talked with say that the fat in milk is very important for the utilization of the minerals in the milk. I know. I believe that, too. Yeah. But, um... Uh, can I tell you, can I ask the question that, that I, I had? I would be happy to have you ask a question, please. Okay. So this question is is probably, it is an herbal question, but I don't know if it's, if it's something that you address. But I've been um, diagnosed with a, a very beginning um, level of macular degeneration, and I wondered if there's some herbal infusions or um, um, herbal, um, what are tinctures that I might Uh take. So the eyes are very dependent on carotenes. Okay. Carotenes are found in plants that are brightly colored. Okay. Those carotenes can be used by the body to make vitamin A. So the carotenes themselves and the vitamin A are really important for eye health. So herbs that have those bright colors, like goji berries right. and even elderberries, are considered excellent for the eyes. But let's first, since we've been talking about nutrition, think about brightly colored plants that we might eat, like orange things. What orange-colored things are you currently eating? 
carrots. Okay. Oranges uh, of all the orange-colored things have the least available carotenes. And you're perhaps on a cell phone in Florida, but your area code is the same as mine, which means oranges aren't growing where you live and therefore basically aren't really part of your diet. Mm-hmm. Carrots are. When you're eating carrots, how long have they been cooked? How long should they be cooked? At least one hour. Oh, my goodness. In order to yeah. get the carotenes from them. For eye health, your colorful vegetables need to be cooked as long as you're willing to cook them. So... Tomato paste has more carotenes than tomato sauce. Tomato sauce has more carotenes than tomato juice, which has more carotenes than that which has the least available carotenes, which is a fresh, raw tomato. Mm-hmm. So every time you cook, and for every increment longer that you cook, you're going to get better eye health. Okay. So, you know, things that you can cook with tomato sauce. Have some tomato paste around and add a spoonful to soups as they're cooking to up the amount of carotenes in the soup. A little bit of tomato paste gives a nice flavor without making it tomato-y. Mm-hmm. One way to get more of that bake winter squash Bake sweet potatoes. These are good ways to get lots of carotenes. One of my favorite ways to get carotenes is from greens. And similarly, in order to get the carotenes that are going to give us eye health, the greens have to be cooked for at least an hour better, too. Even though, like kale? Especially kale. Oh. One hour or two. Yes. Now, I don't send my greens for swimming lessons. In other words, I don't take my kale and cover it in water and boil it for an hour or two. I take my kale and cut it into bite-sized pieces, taking Mm -hmm. out taking out the hard middle stem. So I take that out and feed that to the rabbits, and then the kale leaves are cut into bite-sized pieces, and I put that in a pot with about one inch of water, bring it to a boil, stir it so that all the kale is wet, and turn the flame down so that it is still simmering. Okay. And cook it for an hour or two, or even longer, traditionally. Greens were picked first thing in the morning and boiled until supper time. I have an idea. What what about if I made um, a soup with all those greens and cooked it a long time? You could certainly do that. What I find, and of course we're all very different, is that if I have a variety of different 
cooked greens available to me. And during the wintertime, I'm primarily eating frozen greens from what I put aside during the summer. So I have bags of frozen cooked kale, bags of frozen cooked collards, bags of frozen cooked amaranth, bags of frozen cooked lamb's quarters, bags of frozen cooked beet greens, bags of frozen cooked Swiss chard. And that keeps my interest in the greens going because I'm not eating any one green over and over. Okay. And human beings do tend to get bored pretty easily, let's face it. And I know that in feeding myself, I am more likely to get bored of a soup than any other thing. And again, as I said, we're all quite different. So, you know, you may be that person who says, oh, I can make a soup and I can eat that soup every single night for a week and be perfectly happy to do that. But I find after the second or third night, I'm like, the soup gets shoved to the back of the fridge only to be found in a sorry state a week later. Whereas if I have greens, like... I took, I generally pack my cooked greens in quart bags. I took a quart of amaranth out day before yesterday. So I had some amaranth greens for dinner last night. I had amaranth greens for breakfast this morning. I had some amaranth greens for dinner tonight. I'm going to be happy that the amaranth greens are gone the next time I have them, and I'll be happy to eat some other green. Right. Right. (laughs) So I just like with the infusions. I don't just drink one infusion. I rotate through them, and I do the same thing. I think that part of this is that um, it's pretty clear that our ancestors ate a tremendously varied diet, that they ate many more things and kinds of things than we did. If you even, like, look at a menu from a metropolitan area like New York City from 100 years ago, you can see things on that menu that you would never see on a restaurant menu now, right? How many restaurants have you gone into where you could order kidneys in several different ways? Mm-hmm. Right? And this was this was a common dish on the menu. So I try to um, err on the side of variety. Okay. Right. What about in herbal infusions? Is there one that would be good for eye health? Well, are, are you currently drinking nourishing herbal infusions? Um, uh, I, yes, I am. Okay, so you're having sting nettle one day, which is loaded with carotenes. You're having red clover, which is loaded with carotenes the next day. You're having oat straw the next day, which is great for the nervous system and helps the eyes in that way. You're having comfrey leaf the next day, which is very rich in carotenes and lots of minerals. And then you're having linden, um, what I consider the world's best anti-inflammatory. So if you're rotating through those five herbal infusions, you are helping your eyes tremendously. Oh, I'm doing that. That's great. Yeah. And then start to put the heat on your vegetables. Okay. You know, 
I eat a lot of vegetables. We often laughingly say, and it's true, that we eat more vegetables than vegetarians do, even though we eat meat. And I often wonder that we still uh, fall far short of getting people to eat five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. I will often have five servings of fruits and vegetables at a single meal. Wow. In addition, you know, to whatever else I'm having, when we talked about Thanksgiving at my cousin's, and my cousin was saying, too many vegetables, right? Because my daughter made broccoli and asparagus and cardoon, which is the leaf stalk of a thistle. And then I made roasted vegetables with squash and apples and carrots and celery and carrots. And she said, oh, it's too many vegetables. Well, look, look at how many vegetables we're putting out. And if you have a serving, even of only half of those, you're getting three or four servings of fruits and vegetables right there, right? Right. Not to even mention the cranberry sauce that I made, another fruit. And, right. and they're cooked, right? So we have a variety, a large variety of cooked fruits and vegetables available to us. I remember reading somebody who said, you know, what nutritionists generally don't understand is that a lot of the nutrition in a traditional diet comes from the condiments. Oh. Well, so what would they be? What would they be? What are our condiments? We have apple butter that we made, which is just cooked apples. The apples are cooked for about 24 hours. It's loaded with the carotenes because they cook the apples with their skins. Right? In a pint jar of apple butter, there are eight apples. Mm. Right? So, a serving of apple butter there is like the carotenes from four apples, but even more because it's been cooked. So now it's really activated in a way that your body can use it. Cranberry sauce, as I mentioned. Once cranberries are on the market in the fall, I buy bags and bags of them, throw them in the freezer, and start making cranberry sauce so that throughout the winter months we always have this bright, red, sour cranberry sauce, which I load with orange peel, which has all those important flavonoids for the winter, and ginger, which is a wonderful anti-inflammatory and, again, really helps during the cold months. A condiment is sauerkraut. A condiment is any lacto-fermented vegetable that you made in the summer that's now there for you. A condiment is a pesto. I have half a dozen different herbal pestos in my refrigerator. Every single one of them is loaded with carotenes and fabulous for the eyes. So I said that I had some amaranth for breakfast this morning. On the amaranth, I broke an egg. And over that egg, I poured a small amount of tomato sauce that I had left over. So look at all the carotenes that I'm getting. I've got the egg yolk, the carotenes in the tomato sauce, the greens, 
These are the kinds of meals that you create that supercharge your eyes. The connection between carotenes, which can be formed into vitamin A, and eyesight is so strong that as many as a quarter of a million children go blind every year from lack of carotenes in their diet. Oh, my God. That's terrible. Yeah. So it's not, I w- I'm not just saying, oh, this is, we think there's a connection. No, this is a solid, deeply established connection between eyesight and carotenes. And nourishing herbal infusions are wonderful. And infusions of the berries, right? As I said, the goji berries, right? Elderberries, any really dark colored berry. You can make an infusion of that and have a little extra. So you drink your regular quart of infusion and then you have a half a cup of hibiscus infusion or goji berry infusion or elderberry infusion. And those will generally last in the refrigerator for a week. As you know, one of my mainstays against recurrence is green tea. And green tea, of course, is loaded with, well, what color is it? Bright green. Loaded with these fabulous carotenes. There's thousands of them. Way out one ounce of goji berries, put it in a jar, fill it to the top with boiling water, put a lid on it, let it steep for four hours or overnight, strain it, put it in the refrigerator, drink it. And, and so you, you would throw the um, goji berries away after that, or would, could you use them somehow? You can certainly use them somehow. Eagle Song just sent me some new Hawthorne berry products that she's been working with and some old ones as well. The old one that we love so much is her Hawthorne Oxymel and then she also sent Hawthorne Sipping Vinegar and she mentioned that she took the spent herb from both the Oxymel and the vinegar and she dehydrated it and made hawthorn fruit leather. Mm. Part of the message of sharing people's medicine is there isn't a wrong way to do it. You want to fish the goji berries out of that infusion and put them in your breakfast cereal? You're absolutely right to do that. Okay. You want to throw them in a pan with some honey and turn them into some kind of toast spread, you're absolutely right to do that. So how many... Um, Want to sit there and idly eat them while you're talking with a friend or doing something else? You're perfectly right to do that. It's all good. If you're making a goji berry infusion, would you do less than you normally would for the other infusions where it's... um, no, absolutely not. That's not what I said. Oh. I said drink your quart of regular infusion and add on. Oh, okay. 
Mm-hmm. You don't need to drink a lot of an infusion of a darkly colored berry. Right? Anywhere from two to four ounces a day would be enough. Okay. You probably get better results with consistently doing a small amount rather than occasionally doing a large amount. Right. Right. And that's what I do with the green tea. I make a week's worth on one day, and then I pour a little bit in my cup every day, shake it up, and pour a little bit in my cup every day. Because I don't need a lot of it. And I know that if it's already made, I'm much more likely to drink it. We're all natural procrastinators. Mm-hmm. Right. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think between these things, but especially getting the nutrition you need by cooking your fruits and vegetables. Okay. It's going to make a really big change in your eyesight. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, Thanks for calling and asking. Dream blessings. Good night. Blessings. Bye-bye. All right. And we have one caller that has pressed one to raise their hand. And I'll remind everyone that if you've got a question this evening, please press one so that I can see your hand up in the queue. Our next caller is dialed in from the 250. Area code from the two five two. You are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Um, hi. I'm hi. I'm calling with a comfrey situation, and I hey. was part of the comfrey conference and sent a short in and listened to and participated as much as I was able. And I I really had never hit any kind of pushback on comfrey, and was listening through the conference that apparently a lot of people have. Well, last week, our extension director contacted me because he wanted to go out to a school garden that I work in, and he wanted to um, highlight it in his extension newsletter for this month. I have four master gardeners that work in there with me. I'm emeritus right now. Um, so I gave him information and I gave him pictures and he said, you know, there are children in these pictures. And I said, well, they all have media releases at the school, so, you know, you can use them. But he decided that he was better off to go take pictures of plants. So he went to the garden and he came back and he sent me an email and he said, there's a plant in the garden and it's marked as comfrey. And he says, you know, it's a finum officinalis. And I said, yeah, that would be comfrey, Tom. <laughs> And he said, well, um, and we're going back and forth on emails, the the North Carolina University, State University plant files has this as a moderately poisonous plant, and you might want to remove it from the garden. And so I gave him information about the plant. I said, you know, where some of the concerns had come from, that they're really not valid, explained to him about how the parts are generally used these days explained to him that the alkaloid is dissipated when it's dry and that most of the plants that we can have access to right now don't have a, a, a level of uh, of alkaloid that's a concern. And um, 
I left it, you know, I said, hey, you know, if you've got this, that, or the other, and, and, and this gentleman and I go back 35 years working together on, on multiple layers. I mean, I'm, I'm a professional landscaper, so he's worked with me as a horticultural agent. He's now our director. He, I was president of the Master Gardener Volunteer Association, so we're, we're friendly over 35 years. And, and he came back after, and I said, you know, by the way, you know, if you've got arthritic pain, if you've got listed three or four different things that this particular plant would help. He came back with an email citing, I mean, things I'd never even seen before, but the University of North Carolina, the University of Maryland Medical Systems, I mean, he's talking, he's got Mount Sinai quotes, I mean, and, and it's things that are bold and capital and, and, and it, you know, I mean, he, it, it, it can penetrate through the skin if touched and it should not be, you know, never use it on this, never give it to a child, never, and I mean, I'm looking and I'm going, oh my God, you know, what am I even going to say to this? So I just simply thought, you know, this is crazy. I said the wrong, Tom, and the plant stain. And if you have concerns about the master gardeners having some accreditation of this garden, then we'll just take their name off the sign. <laughs> and I left it at that thinking, you know, this is no big deal. Well, Monday, another email comes out. And it's to the entire committee of people that work there. It's telling them that I said that the university medical systems and the university uh, horticultural systems are wrong. And that um, here, again, with bold and more more information, he's, he's saying that we got to get rid of this plant. <laughs> so I responded and, you know, again, said, I mean, I really told him he came onto private property. He wasn't asked to come onto this property. He has no dog in this fight. And so, I mean, I was, I was really pretty hard about this. Um, and he's, you know, calling me out in front of a group of, you know, half a dozen people for no reason at all. And so um, so I, I told him the plant's staying. And um, then I sent a follow-up email and I attached a PubMed, you know, there's a, a gal in Germany that did a beautiful synopsis of she's with Merck, so she's with, you know, she has a corporate interest even. Um, but she did a wonderful article that was in 2012 and it was talking about the previous concerns and how the plants were safe and then she does a beautiful analysis of all of the um, constituents that are in the plant and how they're helpful and what different and she's citing all these different studies so I mean it was a very comprehensive look at comfrey and I sent that and I just sort of left it in their lap I don't know what's going to happen I don't know but I, I really feel like the plant has to stay and I I think I have to take that position and I teach 60 kids. You don't have any choice because you can't get rid of I told the Master Gardener the head of this committee, I said, we'd have to use Roundup, and even then it won't go away. <laughs> it won't go away. Yeah. It will well, not. I do not know anyone out. who has successfully gotten rid of comfrey, no matter what you used. It just yeah. doesn't do that. It doesn't yeah. go away. So you, you need to somehow learn to be at ease with it and uh, I think that one of the things that's happening here is that the two of you are working on different meta levels let's say different floors of the department store you are on the floor where there are people who are cogent and aware And on your floor, no one is going to be a blithering idiot. 
and decide to cut all the comfrey down and throw it in a blender and drink it. But on the floor that he's on, there are nothing but blithering idiots who do crazy things. I don't know if you remember, I taught at this beautiful, beautiful herb garden in Quebec, northern Quebec. And it was built on a hill. And at the very top of the hill was the witch's garden with all the poisonous plants. And sure enough, some teenage girls got themselves all the way to the top of the hill so that they could eat the poisonous plants. And the ambulance people were really upset that they had to go through this little windy path up the hill to get to these girls who were laid out from eating the poisonous plants. Yes, even though there are signs right there that said, don't eat these plants. So people do stupid stuff. People do stupid stuff. People do really stupid stuff. And sometimes they do it because they're stupid, and sometimes they do it because they're just <clears throat> willful. What can we say? Yeah. And so he's he's on he's at that he's on that floor. He's on the floor with all those people who do the worst possible thing. You know, he actually told me his concern, Susan, was two things. One was that because he just Googled and got all this information, anybody mm-hmm. in the garden would immediately become aware of how poison it was, if it, poisonous it was if they had looked at it. And the other thing is, is that he thinks because it has some transdermal kind of effect that if a child or a pet were to get sick, that both the county and the state university system would be sued. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. He's covering their butt. So, it is important, I think, for him to realize that this transdermal thing has never occurred. It is possible. UFOs are possible. So far, they have not occurred. Messages from outer space are We've been listening for them for 75 years, and we're not giving up. But it hasn't happened yet. I think the comfrey... And that, to me, that was, that was one of the real important things for me about the country conference was to spend months. Now, again, I didn't do it all day long every day. Whenever I had a free half hour, I went online and searched for anybody who had been harmed by Comfrey. I couldn't find anybody. The closest I got was a woman who took Comfrey pepsin pills and took them by the handful and was hospitalized because of it, stopped taking them, and recovered completely. That is the only evidence-based report of anyone being harmed by Comfrey that I was able to come up with. There's lots of other stories, even as you may have heard at the Comfrey Conference. Um, Rico Czech believes, yeah. and I'm not saying he's wrong, that his friend, the chiropractor, who came home for lunch every day, harvested the growing tops of Comfrey, threw them in his blender, and drank it down day after day after day after day. Destroyed his liver by doing that. Did he? I don't know. And we'll never know. 
And that's part of the problem, is those kinds of things then get passed on. And the man may have had hep C, you know? It's not unusual for people to have hepatitis C and not know it. Yeah. And it can't kill you like that, kind of suddenly. And could the recovery have worsened it or exacerbated it? Probably not. In fact, many of the books rate comfrey as a great protector and helper of the liver. So I think, and this may not work for him, but I think that it's always important to let the other person know how right you think they are. (laughs) I didn't handle it that way, Susan. (laughs) Right, to just, you know, just really, like, take their point of view and say, wow, you know, I really get how this plant looks really dangerous to you. And this woman, Susan Weed, has been so concerned about this that she gathered together as many people as she could to talk about their actual use of comfrey over the past 30 years as well as looking historically. And I, if he wants to get into the country conference, I'm happy to give him a free pass. <laughs> I told him that I, I said earlier this year I was in a week-long international conference about this plant. This, you're wrong. I'm right. This is, you know, the, I, I, right. I, I told him. I really, as soon as you tell somebody they're wrong, yeah, yeah, they get right. all like, wah, 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 wah. he's right. He's right. There's all this fear-mongering about comfort. He's right. There is. Yeah. There is. People are foaming at the mouth about it. There are herbal teaching centers all over the world that won't even mention it. Yeah, I'm noticing and of, that. And it's one of the reasons I had the conference, because this is a magnificent plant. I love, you know, that we we ended with Heather saying I would have no quality of life without a country. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I have a husband that had spinal radiation, and he needs comfrey in order to keep his back together. And it is absolutely topically applied the only thing that keeps him walking. No doubt in my mind. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And topically applied. And he's not dying of anything. Yeah. No. So if we can say to people, I really hear you and I really understand where you're coming from, and you're quite right. Are you open to hearing that maybe this is overblown and that it's a possibility but not something that's actually happened and that on the other side of that scale I can offer you um, my personal story of working with my husband, applying it topically to him on his skin Day after day for months and months and months with years, no years, 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 right? So that again, so educate him. We need to feel heard. We all need to feel heard, and it's not like he's—he's he's your friend. You've already established he's your friend. He's your friend, and so you want to treat him as though he were doing the best, even if his best seems to be thwarting you. And even if he is wrong, 
not that he's wrong. He's gotten connected to outdated information. Yeah. And that's, that would be the angle, I think, because he's an academic. And I think that right. the, the information is dated. And that's what I said. That, that I said, you know, this the article I'm giving you is old. It's 10 years old. But it, we've known for a while that those beliefs are wrong. Right. So, it's, uh, so this is an update, even though it's 10 years old. And here's like the yeah. real update, which is less than a year old, which you have access yeah. to of, you know, and I thought David Hoffman was, as yeah. usual, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and I, I said point blank to him that, you know, it would be very interesting for me to understand or to see who these university systems were citing when they came to these opinions and where did they come from. And if you want me to go through the intellectual exercise of proving to you that I'm right, I'm happy to do it. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to have to figure out how to show him some of the stuff in this conference. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, st- perhaps start with David Hoffman. Who was, after all, there and part of the group who was being asked whether or not Comfrey should be banned. That's it's a good idea. Seat there. So we're not, it's not hearsay, it's their say. It's straight from the horse's mouth, yeah. Straight from, yeah. Straight from the mouth of someone who was in the room and, and who uses Comfrey. Yeah. I, I am shocked that this is that this is something that it just never occurred to me that I would have to defend a plant. I actually have to come to a standoff about a plant in a garden. I just ne- I've been planting things right. for a long time. Amazing, isn't it? It is. It's very surprising. I mean, you know, he's got digitalis in his in his extension herb demonstration. He's got he's got a thing labeled Hypericum perfumatum that's not. It's an ornamental Hypericum, and I'm thinking to myself, and you're in my garden complaining about comfort. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, but digi- I'm okay. Digitalis is like a high level poison. Yes. Hello? Yes. yes. Very dermal. <laughs> and I just. I, I put a single. I put a single vascular leaf on my lip, and my lip burned and hurt for hours. We have a state historic site here. We all, as master gardeners, can work at their sales and in their gardens and take hours. Not only do they grow comfrey on the site, but we actually sell it for them. <laughs> He's never had a problem with that. So, yeah, I think this is just not, this is naivety. This is a lot of ignorance, even about what his own master gardeners do, because we were all involved with this plant, not only 10 oh years ago, but selling it. If only he knew. Uh-oh. Well, yeah, yeah, it's just goofballs. So, uh, all right. Well, thank you for steering my thought on this. And you're right. I think that giving him access to the archaic nature or the idiosyncratic nature of what they're relying on, that would help him. <laughs> that, that in general, what I find is that medical institutions have access to the least intelligent herbal information. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they are really ignorant, really ignorant about yeah. all herbal practice. And so they say bad because they know nothing. They say would affect because they don't know how to think about it. It, it. You know, they're just, yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. 
So um, it's all right. It's okay. Yeah. Not, you know, but where, where it becomes a problem is when your friend then believes that. And the other thing that is sometimes effective is just to, you know, really look at someone, especially someone who's my friend, and say, you know, the first sign of dementia is paranoia. Oh, that's an appropriate time in his life to do that. <laughs> oh, Lord. I hope that's not true because it really has entered my mind a couple of times. It is wrong. It's definitely, definitely true. And I have seen it, you know, so much in elders that the very first sign that they're not like as pulled together as they have it is they start to be paranoid. Like and, so I, I have warned everybody. See, you see me paranoid. You'd like pull me up short and tell me. Cut it out. It's time to step out. Cut it out right now, girl. <laughs> that stuff leads down and down and out and out and into troubled waters. So, um, wow. you know, there's I, I, a difference I, between being reasonably cautious and what's going on here with this comfrey. He's it's beyond okay. reasonably cautious here. Yeah. Yeah. Right, we can oh, give him. We can show him that this is a plant that is grown in gardens worldwide, <laughs> and here yeah. are you know a lot of people telling you about it, and they're not off totally on the fringe. Yeah, and that's I use that word. I said, Tom, I am not on the fringe. <laughs> this is not the fringe. Here. This is very mainstay yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, would you call back right. and? And let us know. Oh, I will. Well, I'll let you know if I had to walk Because now we're all very interested. Well, okay. And and your advice would be not to say me or the plant because, I mean, that's I, I, I'm really thinking if the plant goes, I go. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I just feel like you, you can't drop the ball on something like this. You can't just say, okay, girls, dig it up because it'll grow back. I mean, I know it will grow back. But the point is, is that, no, we're not going to dig up the plant, right? You know, I don't know enough about what's really going on there as to yeah. when when it's tactically reasonable to lose a battle. Well, sometimes it is. Sometimes a month it is. That I teach. Yeah, yeah. So know. you know, I, yeah. As you said, you know, it's not like the country's going to go away. You're you know, oh, yeah, we'll take it up and we'll put yeah. it in pots and yeah. sell it to people. What? <laughs> so, <laughs> right? Right. So if, so if it's a matter of pride, get over it and make it work. And it, it, exactly. you're right, because I don't, don't risk losing, and it's not going to really change anything if you dig it up. It's not. It's not, you know? Is it that important? Sometimes it is, right? They said to Joan of Arc, just recant. And Joan of Arc said, no, not recanting. That's, you know, it was important. Not recanting. God talked to me. It's the well, truth. Just have to deal with it. But uh, he's got off on the wrong track about Comfrey. Maybe, yeah. maybe you have to give way because this room full of idiots is bigger than your room full of careful people. 
Yeah, and and if, if this is me having a bad attitude and digging my heels in, I need to adjust that because I might not be able to make a difference in this old dog's mind. You know, he's not going to learn a new trick, and so we're just going to have to. Sometimes in a friendship, when you just back down because you know you're friends. Well, there's that. Yeah. What's that? So. Friends don't always have to be right. Oh, I wish I could remember who said this. I really should remember. So you know, you don't have to agree with someone to protect them from injustice. That's a very nice saying. Right? I'm like, whoa, yeah. It might have been Eleanor yeah. Roosevelt. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. That's an American thing, I think. Yeah, and it's to me, community is not about living with people you agree with. Community is your ability to live with people you don't agree with. And you protect their right to disagree. So you protect their right to do that right. Yeah. Well, thanks for the guidance. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're and so welcome. I will let you know how it goes. And let <laughs> us know the next installment in this soap opera. All right. Thanks All right. So much. Good blessings. Bye. Good night. All right, and we have one caller that has pressed one to raise their hand, and you are dialed in from the 504 area code. From the 504, you are live with Susan. Good evening, Susan. It's so great to hear this, this tonight's show. Um, I, as a, <laughs> I went through medical school. I'm, a, I'm an out-in-practice private physician, and... We were not taught any of this in medical school. And I finished residency, I think, in 2012. And we were just becoming more familiar with St. John or uh, Hypericum perforatum. But it was dried in capsules. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until... I don't know, two years ago, 2019 maybe, three years ago, that I was introduced to everything that you've been teaching for the last, as long as you've been teaching this. And when I'm in my one-on-one sessions with patients and I'm sharing the level of people's medicine with them, they're looking at me like, wait a minute, wait a minute, where did I just step into so I am so grateful for you because I can use the I can use the license to get in spaces where a lot of herbal knowledge just never permeates and I feel like I'm a secret agent for the wise woman tradition if I'm honest like You are, you are. <laughs> I agree completely. I'm infiltrated, right? So but when it comes to being um, in the space of the hornet's nest where you've been trained to fear license, revocation, lawsuits, litigation, it's, so, it's such a fear-based um, curriculum that it's really hard for me to say, go get dried comfrey because I've got to be sure 
what floor of the department store they're on because in the climate we're in, you've got to really exercise discernment. And what I realize that I find myself doing, depending on that floor, is referring them to nourishingherbalinfusions.com, giving them information versus a prescription. And I wanted guidance from you about how to not toe the line, but just be cautious. I get that it's a CYA sort of question, but I'm not hiding people's medicine from the people. Right. The law, as you know, is that actually nothing except drugs and surgery can be said to prevent, treat, or cure any human disease. Even a hug is against the law. Mm-hmm. If you were to mm-hmm. actually prescribe a hug to someone and they died from it, you could be sued. That's right. Right. So the law is pretty silly in terms of that. But what they give us is structure and function claims. Right? So oatmeal can't say prevents heart attacks because that's claiming to prevent a human disease. But oatmeal can say, builds a healthy heart. That's a structure and function claim. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Beat them at their own game. I got it. (laughs) Which is why you can have stuff for healthy immunity. How can you sell stuff for healthy immunity? (laughs) Because it's a structure and function claim. And you don't have to prove a structure and function claim. You just make it. It's a claim. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Structure and function claim. Love it. Right? It's it's pretty... It's why the supplement industry has grown from what, I think, over the past 15 years from 5 billion to 80 billion. Yes. Because they can make any structure and function claims they want. And people aren't trained and unfortunately doctors aren't really either to understand statistics and how information can be distorted yeah we're taught it but not everybody's great at it yeah it is so easy to to distort my favorite is to ask a woman if she would be interested in learning about a drug that could reduce her risk of hip fracture by 50%. And most women say, well, yeah. And I said, okay, but if you understand that your risk of a hip fracture in any given year is only 2%, what's 50% of that? And they look at me and say 1%. I said, right, the drug reduces your risk by 1%, which is 50% of your risk. I hate it. Right? Like most, yeah. most, most women look at me and go, but isn't, isn't a 50% reduction, isn't that half of, I said, right, half of, not half of 100, half of another number that they're not telling you. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we got to make sales. Uh, you got, so you got, you got to well, pe- get people invested. So if you say to someone, I said to someone, this hypericum oil that I'm offering you um, can help to relieve the pain that you're experiencing on the left side of your ribcage. I said, and better yet, 
if it's insipient shingles, person in their late 80s, <clears throat> right? Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. I said, and better yet, if it's insipient shingles, it will stop that from developing. Whoa. This is why I love herbs. All they know is they have a pain in their ribs. That's all you need. And so here's the remedy that's going to deal with that pain and prevent what's probably trying to happen there, too, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because when I hugged them, when I hugged her, she didn't go, oh, ow, my ribs hurt. She jumped. Mm. That's diagnostic right there. Right there, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's been putting Hypericum oil on now for five days, and the pain is less, and no rash has developed, so I think we beat this. Wow. Because, because I would think that within that five days, we're, we would see lesions if it was going to come out of shingles. For sure. I feel as though people's medicine involves a level of discernment and I want to make sure that I'm delivering what I know in a way that everybody can access it without rendering it not safe, not effective, not affordable. Fortunately for us all, it's very hard to make it unsafe. So I gave her the Hypericum oil. We actually mm -hmm. rubbed it on her left rib cage, right, so that she would have the thematic mm. experience of applying the yes. remedy. And two days later, yes. she called and said, I'm taking it three times a day. Is that the right thing to do? I love it. And I said, you're rubbing it on three. She says, oh, no, I'm taking it by the dropper full. I'm like... Okay, you see, but she can't hurt herself by doing that. She can't hurt herself by doing that. She can't hurt herself by doing that because it's hypericum oil. It's okay. She got it all messed up. She did it wrong. No problem. And she's getting pain relief. It's okay. Okay. Right, and then I said, it, I think it will work better for you if you actually apply it like we did together. She said, oh, oh, that's why we did that. I'm like, <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, uh. So, um, yeah. Well, I've seen. You know, I had somebody that I suggested that she put hypericum oil on shingles that had already erupted, and her aide went out and bought hypericum ointment with beeswax and tore her skin off. Ooh, the wax. Yeah. Yeah. Pull the skin. Mm. Um, so I'm not saying that you can't hurt yourself. You can. But, oh, golly gee, my, I was just reading a back issue of uh, Best Pills, Worst Pills, and they were going through stories of horrible things that happened to people who crushed their medicine and put it in their food. Oh, Wow. Because the pills were too big for them to swallow. So they thought the best thing to do would be to crush it and put it in their food, and that way they could take it easily. But they were timed release medicines. Absolutely. Oh, and so gosh. instead of getting that 
effect of that drug over a 12 or 24 hour period, they got it, bam, all in one half hour. Mm-hmm. And the one that really spun me around was the woman who did that with her um, timed release um, hypertension a drug mm. and went into you know, cardiac arrest, just dropped her blood pressure down, and they wow. brought her back to life, and she went home and did it again and died. Because no, no one, oh, God, wow. Uh, maybe I said to somebody, not tell her, and, and that person said, she was in heaven, and they brought her back. She just wanted to go back to heaven. She had it. <laughs> okay, I'll take your story, too. Maybe she wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she wasn't just not understanding. Maybe she understood more than we think. And she said, oh, I can't believe you know, I was I was sitting there at the 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 feet of the Almighty and you pulled me back here. What? <laughs> wow. So people have an amazing array of ways to harm themselves with things that should be fairly harmless, but in terms of herbs in general and people's medicine in specific, uh, which focuses so much on nourishing and tonifying plants and uses so little of the actual things that get turned into drugs, which is, of course, the push. Um, through the history of herbal medicine is to push the herbalists more and more and more into being pharmacists. Um, so it, it's like I've pulled us back some, you know, five or six centuries here and say, no, let's go back to being herbalists before we had uh, alchemy and before we thought of them mm-hmm. as, as things that have constituents. So mm-hmm. nobody, nobody is going to hurt themselves with a nettle. As you as you say, the, you know the nourishing herbal infusions, you're going to be safe there. Dandelion, oh, it's a plant everybody knows, and it's pretty much impossible to hurt yourself with dandelion. Mm-hmm. And hey, for most people, if their liver works better, everything's going to work better, huh? Love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether they have headaches or a skin rash or digestion issues, Tantialine is probably going to be there to help. Mm-hmm. So it's simpler for you, too. <laughs> and we love that. We love simple. <laughs> yeah. 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 There'll always be, I mean, we made up this whole thing so we would have, you know, Things to do, things to cure, you know, diseases to <laughs> ponder and so on. Mm-hmm. But, right, uh, it will, we will never cure them all. They'll never all be well. That's okay, too. Right? You have to be able to go to sleep at night knowing that there's an endless, endless amount that can be done and that n- not any one of us could ever even begin to do it. But that every interaction that we have is an interaction that adds to wholeness. Yeah. Even if someone might say it was a failure. Keep going back to this wonderful talk by a Buddhist monk who was 
didn't tell us what it was, diagnosed with a chronic disease that would only get worse. My guess, MS, but other choices as well. And that he spent the first two years trying to figure out what he was doing wrong. That, he, that if his spiritual path was right, he shouldn't have a disease, right? And finally he wow. realized, oh my gosh, he said, wait, I'm seeing this as a failure. It's success. This is what we came here for. We came here for disease and accident. We came here to die. Wow. It's not a failure. Even if our profession is to ease those things, even if we're trained and we've studied to ameliorate as much as we possibly can, we still have to remember that everybody came here for pain, disease, the injury, the death. Those are the successes. Wow. So that means you're here. You made it. <laughs> you made it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 And there's going to be pain, but we have to, we, we get a choice about whether we suffer. There's a choice in suffering. Yeah. yeah that, that's where the choice is. You don't get a choice about the pain. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you so much. You make every single person listening go, yes. (laughs) 25 years ago, Larry Dossie stood on stage crying, and he said, we just have to wait until they die. It's not going to change until Fitz Crop is gone. You know Larry Dossie's work? I don't. Oh, you must I'm read Googling now, space, space, Time, and Medicine. Larry Dossie, and then his other works as well. Amazing stuff. Thank you one so of the much. Real, one of the real forerunner MDs, and he was just, he had just in a big study, you know, really showing connection, you know, between body, mind, spirit, I mean, the, the obvious, right? And he was like, just like shot down and put down and really made fun of. So, yay, Larry. Yay, Dr. Dossie, for hanging in there and being there when I was just a fledgling to have somebody to keep my eye on. It makes a difference. So, it's a big difference. Yeah, you're pushing me. You're pushing me to yeah. get, get more in the forefront, so thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. And that brings us up to time for our guest. Is Kat with us? Yeah. Kat, how do you pronounce your last name? Is that C hard? Is it Caracello? Caracello. Kat Caracello. Caracello. Yes. Kat artist and founder of Journey Path Institute, developed the creative depth approach using imaginal and intuitive journey work to deepen, heal, and connect 
to one's life path at all stages of experience and discovery. Journey Path, which is a registered trademark institute, is dedicated to integrative union depth work, transformational pathways, and art as process to support healing, wholeness, and expansion. The institute offers a space to explore depth work, archetypal presence, journey work, distinctive experiential and creative programs. Delve deeply into intuitive ways of knowing, narrative process, myth, story, expressive art, depth concepts, and tools to develop one's own process and expand your original voice when working with self, individuals, and groups. Thanks, Kat, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan. Lovely to be here. Nice to uh, connect. Yes, absolutely. So how did you come to found Journey Path? Did you start out as a union analyst? I didn't. I work uh, really, I, I came through my own um Oh, you know, the the transitional times in our lives when we kind of fall into uh, the the night sea journey and and, uh, wallow and find that sense of being unmoored and lost. And and I came to um, a body of work that just called me back to myself, really to my essence. And I called it my silent year and I... I kind of went underground, went back to the earth, went back to uh, the night sky, went back to my own essence and and uh, sort of, you know, took the house apart, as it were, and uh, discovered that journey work was going to lead me in a new direction. And so it was very organic. It was, it had, um, you know, overtones of, of deep shamanic dream work, and it was uh, a way that I was being led and taught by Tila Colorado and some other teachers at the time. Um, but but it was very, very organic. And what happened was, you know, my own sense of coming back home and beginning again. and And so that sense of how the journey could be a catalyst and re- and offer restorative healing, wholeness, uh, as you teach, as you guide. It was our it was the mythic living that brought me back to myself, and so I started to translate that and teach it and guide and hold space for others doing that work. And over many years, uh, the institute kind of grew out of a body of work and a a wide group of people that did the work with me. And and then I felt like, well, it's not my work. It's our work. And it needs its own home. It needs its own place to be what it is. And so that is how Journey Path Institute arrived. Ah, wow. That's beautiful. I might understand what you mean by journey. But I, I want to really be clear because it seems to be a very important concept, the concept of journey and journey work. Mm-hmm. Well, 
journey is an opportunity to utilize the known and the unknown access to uh, our own wisdom. So I believe that journey work allows us to travel on a thread of intuitive knowing and maybe intentional um, uh, engagement in something that's maybe other than our day-to-day experience. So journey can take lots of different forms. Some of us are deep dreamers, and some of us go off on vision quest into the natural world. Some of us uh, use art or symbol or metaphor to step into a story and develop a sense, that sensory um, connection to who we have been, who we are, and who we are becoming. And I think from that standpoint, engaging the journey can happen in a nanosecond with sort of an epiphany of awareness, Mm -hmm. but it can also be extended and developed with um, purpose and passion and and a direction and self-determination, utilizing all kinds of interesting and dynamic uh, personal tools, chosen tools. So first of all, we might engage in journey work when we come to a rough patch. Yeah, that many of us do start to understand that the journey beyond the experience can bring us into relationship with new knowledge. And until we hit a rough patch, feel that despair or feel that separation from uh, maybe essence or soul self or who, you know, who we thought we were or what we hope to be, that there's that yearning or that separation that, Uh, allows us to consider what are my options? What are the possibilities within my options? And how can I do this? And I don't prescribe or even suggest there's a certain way. What I suggest and what I know for myself is once I start to see my life through the context of journey and a journey that is always present to me if I am open to it, it changes my relationship with my life and allows me to stretch far beyond the edges of what I think is possible. I used to see the agents of change coming for me, and Mm. I would lock the door, Mm. and then I would pile the furniture against the door. And knowing they would break it down, I would go into my room and lock that door and pile the furniture against that door. Knowing they'd break that down, I'd go into the closet and lock the closet and pile the furniture against that door. Then I'd blindfold and gag myself. And sure enough, the agents of change came in and broke all those doors down and took me blindfolded and gagged and threw me over the cliff. Mm-hmm. Until I realized that I could just open the door, step outside. They were still going to throw me over the cliff, but I'd come back home to my stuff undamaged and I wouldn't be blindfolded and gagged. Yeah. I was doing all of that. Yeah. There was I kept thinking it was the agents of change, but it wasn't mm-hmm. them. They just wanted to throw me over the cliff. They just had one thing to do, throw me over the cliff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
They they were the catalyst. You were the conductor. <laughs> hey, I'm the one who made it yeah. miserable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and this, you know, the, it it is the resistance that can keep us separate from the potential and go kicking and screaming or take the risk. And it's often and hard the, to do that. The journey, work, the journey work helps us. I remember Gene Houston saying, you have to know the story before you take the journey. Because if you know the story, then when you're confronted with the ugly toad, you can say, oh, yes, I have to be kind to the ugly toad because in Chapter 16, it will save me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I would frame it a little bit different, although love and respect Jean's work, and I love that that, uh, that came through, you know, to populate and sort of enhance the conversation. I would say that the human, the human condition is to not trust. And so stretching, stretching ourselves to increase our capacity to trust that the story serves the whole self is one of my personal practices because it has taken years for me to understand how it happens and to give myself that opportunity to open the doors as you so, um, you know, sublime, sort of that, that sublime um, example of blocking and, and blocking yourself in uh, for fear of the outcomes. But, this, but the evolutionary growth is what drives me in my own sense of healing and wholeness. And I think journey work provide us um, our own source material for healing and developing a language that can help us to be flexible in the face of challenge, uh, to stretch the edges of being human, which is hard, <laughs> and to be here and be uh, sort of living into our capacity, the capacity that we choose, how to be expressed, how to participate, and mm. what the choices are at each juncture. Yes. What would be the best way for someone who's listening to say, saying, I want more of this? What would be the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, you can reach out to me at cat um, at journeypathinstitute.com. That's direct email, so welcome, just a direct email. And the website, Journey Path Institute, uh, it certainly has the ability to be in touch. Great. Um, th- those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, lots of examples and uh, different ways that I've shared some of my story and some of the stories of the work and how the work happens within the context of, of group process. In fact, right now we have a group that's traveling. I think it's 800 plus traveling into the 12 days of solstice to experience what a guided journey might feel like, which is daily guided meditations that allow you to then explore your own story because there's a little way in. But we we can create our ways in through um, just opening up that sense of 
wonder or curiosity or awareness and look for how the journey happened today. It's my favorite question to ask. Sometimes people, you know, I don't, I'm not creative, so I don't think I can do this. And I always suggest ask yourself how you created today. Not if you created today. And certainly not, I didn't create today. I, I refuse to create today. That's it. <laughs> yeah. But also, how did I do it? What was the journey today? Because if the journey is happening all the time, under the surface of life, how? what was that little shimmer or glimmer of the journey what happened that is guiding my life? Because I think the journey is archetypal. It's happening with us, through us, mm. not just to us. So there's the little journey, shall we say, of today. Mm. The, the little boat of today sailing from sunrise to its sunset and how we are guiding that boat, but that's just a glimmer in the very much bigger mythical or archetypal ship that we're sailing. Yeah. Yeah, and if the boat becomes the symbolic image or energy, then you could ask, you know, what's happening with my boat today? Am I in it? Am I carrying it? Am I dragging it behind me? You know, what does it feel like in my body? Where is the boat traveling through my blood streams? You know, how how do I feel it bumping up against my edges, beckoning me in one direction or the other? So the boat itself could be the catalyst. One little symbolic image energy can catalyze that um, curiosity, but also uh, can start to become rather personal when you ask where it's bumping up against you. You know, where do you feel it pulling you in one direction or the next? And yes. is it traveling yes. in the mythic river of the night sky or moving you down <laughs> a dark channel or across a wild sea? Wow. That's how I was taught to do psychic diagnosis in a way. Mm-hmm. But and that was to choose a specific plant, not a tree or a flower, but a rose or an oak tree. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes your guide, and you mm-hmm. say to yourself about the person you're diagnosing, what kind of rose is this person, or what kind of mm-hmm. oak tree? Or mm-hmm. what, but it's always the same thing. Every single person is, what kind of da-da is this? And you don't mm-hmm. switch it around. And it's, it's amazing the, mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the specificity that you can get in, in an answer to a question like that. What kind of rose yeah. is this person? I'm like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost, it feels to me like what you're describing is, how you thread the needle, but you allow the needle to guide itself or guide you. Yes, exactly. And this is what you can help people to open up in themselves is to open these doors into, I 
I tend to call it leading a charmed life. Mm-hmm. I think that we all lead charmed lives, but that many of us don't pay any attention to the charms. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. What a brilliant and beautiful um, sort of encapsulated statement there. Just absolutely gorgeous. And I think for me, um, the sense of personal power and finding our own source material and, um, you know, allowing ourselves um, to experience the richness of Renaissance, the potential of um uh, of, of of engaging in the relationship that guides life, and so that to me is source, and that to me is the psycho spiritual sort of essence and potential of life. So in a sense, it's the elixir, you know. In the in a, it's looking for that alchemy and the quintessence. So it's all of the things that we might call by a million different names. But it's it's the charm, isn't it? It's It's the charm. It's the wonder. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The 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 giggle. Yeah. That giggle that bubbles up from you, unbidden. Yeah. Yeah. But the human condition often moves us in the direction of challenge or depression or um, a determined kind of beating ourselves up and and tripping over lives and feeling overwhelmed by things that are both personal, communal, relational, and collective. And and many of us as as more empathic beings and having honed our skills and developed some really powerful holistic tools and interests, then find ourselves, and I know this happens for me at times, and Skill building has been an important way to um, know how to not shut down because protection, the human protective nature wants to, you know, block out all of that energy, but to open up to the energy and be able to travel in the world with our strengths and our giftedness and trust that we know how to hold our own and make empowered choices. And I think journey work really lends itself to um, getting a better sense of ability. Yes. We, through the journey work, we come to see how enormous we are. Mm. Yeah. And how someone, gave me, someone gave me a book by David Mamet. And it's quite the um, outrageous um, statements. Um, it, it basically um, what he says is that in the early days, the actor was killed by a stake being driven through the heart Mm -hmm. because it was obvious to people that the actor had the ability to change them. Mm. Actor as shaman, shaman Mm -hmm. as actor. Mm 
each mm-hmm. one of us as the shaman actor director of our own journey. Exactly. Exactly. So the empowerment to be in the journey allows us to grow in the journey. You know, I heard you speaking to your last listener, and I have this sense of what you were saying, you know, and, and through my own words that you can't heal what you can't feel, you can't feel what you can't see, but to travel with the truth and develop a sense of why it has come through your life is to step into the story, is to engage the play, is to, uh, you know, get a better sense of the players and develop them as uh, reflective uh, parts and, and to know thyself, but also to be true to what it is that you're called to do within any life path. And we all have such a unique path. And this isn't to say that we're stepping over deep and abiding challenge, but the journey also can guide us through some of those things too, because it's like a spiritual work and we engage it in a way that allows us to navigate more clearly with more consciousness. And I think that, the key, especially in times like these, <laughs> where we, it's very intense, and we're called to action in ways that we might not have ever expected to. Speaking of that, what do you think are the most vital qualities that women need today to get that new sense of presence and purpose? I personally think it's the ability to shapeshift, to um, to exercise flexibility, to become a, an acrobat in our own lives, to allow ourselves to navigate and and turn in new directions. I think this is the way that women expand perspective and can choose to travel in directions they didn't expect to and survive and thrive. And I work, vast majority of my work is with women. Not all, but the vast majority of my work is with women. And I think that the flexibility to change is necessary for all of us because the rapidity of growth and the world and the way of the world um, can be so disturbing <laughs> for the for the human who thinks that they've designed their life around the philosophy that then is being you know broken down and fragmented right. in so many ways. Yes. How do we travel through that broken landscape? We I think we have to get very flexible and allow ourselves to be multi-natured and I think the journey work really lends itself to that think of the selkie stories and the shifting from you know state and energetic uh, place Um, not the stolen skin stories not the um, trapped by another story but the ability to move in a new direction to play in a different way so I think it's flexibility that's my sense There has been mass extinctions on this planet. There have Mm -hmm. been several mass extinctions Mm -hmm. on this planet where 99% of all life forms bit the dust. Mm -hmm. 
There's mm-hmm. only one thing still alive that came through all those extinctions, and it's the sea sponge, mm-hmm. which is, to me, the absolute definition of flexibility. Mm-hmm. The organism that takes everything in, keeps what's good for it, and spits the rest out. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that's how you survive the extinction of all other life. You just keep taking it all in. Mm-hmm. And trust, mm-hmm. that trust that, that you brought up earlier in the show, that, that we trust that we will know what is good for us to keep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the story tells us that, right? That's how we that's how we know because the story arises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think when the story arises, we have this the story itself is a sea sponge. The story itself takes mm-hmm. what it needs, bits out the rest. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. we can identify a new story and step into it, even step into its shadow. Yes. Step into its shadow and and, and feel that that um, sort of deepening and darkness of what we can't quite perceive. The story itself can then start to guide and start to inform and start to grow, and um, and and that's a fascinating process. And to me, it's the it's mythic living. It's it's living into what I don't know yet. It's allowing uh, the 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 sense of happening to be first rather than the determination of it has to be my way <laughs> and and this often I catalyze through you know my own work many times I'm I'm working in creative process very simple creative process tearing and making a mess and exploring the edges and the energies of things that I can't quite see they're barely taking shape so it could be an abstraction that isn't revealing itself to me yet. But I always get a sense that if my fingers are in it, if my body is in it, if my energy is connected, I'm building relationship with what is moving into awareness. And so I find that part fascinating. And of course, you know, we all have creative impulse. We all um, see images and dream and and can utilize that kind of a living language to develop um, a sense of the story. So that's a great, it's a great way to begin is to see a, a, an image mirroring back to you something that you want or sense in yourself and ask it to become part of your story. Oh. Well, you know, the, usually the last question that I ask is, what do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of your listeners? But I don't think you could top that. That was beautiful. Mm. That was Thank really, you. really stunning. That oh yeah, <sighs> the back and forth between the self, the story, and the emergence of our mm. real self. Yes. One of the stories that I tell is that we are all working together to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And I want to Mm -hmm. thank you for the beauty of the threads that you add to this healing cloak. 
that brings so much expansion and wholeness to all of us. Thank you. Tell people again where to find you. Email me at cat at journeypathinstitute.com or uh, check in with the website and touch base with me there. There are plenty of ways to find me. Thank you. Journey Path Institute is where you will find Kat. Sarah Ellen. Okay, I think almost all my other chores are done. It's time for us to start to get cranking on the Hypericum conference. And just as a little reminder, those correspondence courses are $50 off, as many as you want, between December 1st, that's already almost a week ago now, and December 15th, you have until then, then the prices go back to their regular thing. And starting the beginning of January, you will be able to enroll in the Hypericum Conference for free, January and February, March and April. There will be a small free fee, and starting in May, and the conference will be sometime in May, we will be charging people because we have 21 presenters at the Hypericum Conference. A lot of people want to talk about how incredible this plant is another plant that it's time to end the nonsense we love you Cubfrey. we love you hypericum i love you sarah ellen thank you so much for being in my life and for helping me to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine good night everybody and green blessings